there, Sabrina here, hosting Super Sab in Seattle, the podcast. Welcome, thank you for joining us. There's about 5 billion highly produced podcasts that you could be listening to, so, you know, thanks for picking this one. want to remind you, we are an independently produced podcast, and this is episode 29. just came back from a long break of like two years or something who's counting right and on the last episode I was like oh I'm not going to talk about anything serious because you guys know that it's been a really shitty year and you know we've got this global pandemic and our democracy almost failed and all that so I was like I'm not going to talk about that because you know you guys get enough of that on the nightly news but then this pandemic kind of hit home and so it's been on my mind a lot and then I thought you know I'm recording these podcasts for nobody to listen to except for you I see you right there thank you um but you know it, it's kind of like a snapshot of what I was doing on this day whatever year it is so I kind of, you know, when I'm old and senile and I can't remember, I'll re-listen to this and be like, oh yeah, that was a really shitty year. Aww. Now, I, I really like that the Super Sab in Seattle podcast is about nothing. Kind of just, you know, random and a variety of things and light and funny and not that important. I mean, I like that about this podcast. Um, but this episode, episode 29, is a little, it's a little more of a downer because this whole year of avoiding the coronavirus, um, we've all done pretty well in my small group of people, um, except that just a few days ago, my dad got really sick from it. So he's in the hospital and he's got a, he's got the pneumonia and he's got the coronavirus real bad, real bad, real bad. So, um, so that's at the top of my mind. And, you know, I'm a little worried and I'm thinking, you know, when's it going to end? So I started Googling some stuff because that's what I do. I Google things. And I just started looking up the Spanish flu. Now, I'm no doctor, so whatever you hear on this podcast, um, is you should probably check it out and see if it's actually real, because I've just been Googling some stuff, trying to put my mind at ease, and you know, all it's done is put me into a further panic. It's hard. This virus is so hard because A, I'm far away from my, from my sweet father, and B, even if I was down there, I couldn't go into the hospital. I couldn't see him. I couldn't talk to him. It's, um, that's, I think, the worst part about this. Um, but I was, I was like, well, what do I know about the last pandemic, the Spanish flu? Um, I've learned that the coronavirus 
and the Spanish flu are not the same virus. So they're totally different bugs, but they have a lot of similar outcomes. But the Spanish flu seemed a lot more deadly. Um, but it only lasted two years. So I was like curious. I was talking to my wife. I was like, well, when are we going to get to where, you know, people aren't in the hospital and people aren't dying and we can go back to a concert. And like, I know that, you know, Sinead O'Connor tweeted today that all of her concerts have been postponed again from everything that was postponed to 2021 is now being postponed to 2022. And I thought we're never going to go to see concerts again. Are these people going to be able to buy food? Well, hopefully they have some royalties to live off of, but what else should I be? All apologies. What else should I say? Everyone is gay. My point is, we're right in the middle of this thing. And we've We've got this vaccine that seems like nobody can get. Here's the story. My parents, my dad and my stepmom, had an appointment to get their vaccine. And because America, the United States of America, we've had this terrible leader for four years who kind of screwed everybody up. So um, the distribution of the vaccines, I think, are, are, are wanting, to say the least. So my folks have an appointment to get their vaccine. They drive to the clinic. They go in, they check in, and they're told, oh, we ran out. Sorry, you have to go home and, you know, reset up another appointment. Well, from there back to home... And they they must have caught it. And, you know, I think they stopped at the pet store and they probably stopped at the grocery store and then they got home and then a couple of days later, my dad got really sick. So um, maybe they caught it at the clinic. Maybe he had it before the clinic. I don't know. All I know is that they had an appointment for the vaccine and the clinic was out. Like, where what where are we? I mean, what's happening? Why can't we get this vaccine to, into the people. What's wrong? I mean, I can place an order on Amazon and it, I mean, who knows where it's coming from? Somewhere in the Midwest, maybe even the East Coast, maybe Canada, and it will be here in two days. So, to my house. And my house is not easy to find. I live in a weird alley, but those drivers find us and they find us, you know, fast. So, what what is happening with this vaccine. I just read that there was um, in Seattle there was a hospital whose freezer broke and so now all these vaccines all these doses of the vaccine were going to go bad and so they put out some notice and like thousands of people showed up because they're like we'll give it to anybody um, if you're here because it's going to go bad otherwise. So that's how we're getting our vaccines now. We're getting our vaccines when the freezers break because um, there's just not enough vaccine to go around. And I wondered about the Spanish flu and like how did it end? And from what I've read, it just sort of mutated to be less deadly. But it was around for two years. 
um, they did a lot of the same things where they closed theaters, they closed, you know, places for people to gather. People had to wear masks. Some cities were okay wearing masks. Other places fought the masks, just like today. Everybody's stupid still. Everybody was stupid then. Um, but the difference is that now we have, like, really strong science. And back then, they just, like, were like, oh, um, we don't know what a virus is because we don't have microscopes that are strong enough to find them. So this is just, like, the, the grip or the gripe. I don't know how they pronounced it. Grip or gripe. Um, and a lot of people died because they took too much aspirin, which apparently if you take too much aspirin, it kills you. But that was like their only medicine back then besides, you know, whiskey. So just aspirin and whiskey and people just would die from that. Um, But I think like 500 million people caught the Spanish flu and like 50 million people died in two years. That's a lot of people. So luckily for us, we're not, we're not dying at such a quick rate. But, um... I will take your well wishes for my pops, who's a sweet, sweet guy, who's really, really fighting right now. He's really struggling, and there's really nothing anybody can do, except for wait. Memories of the pandemic of 1918 loom over the current global battle against the coronavirus. And though it's too soon to say how comparable the current outbreak will be, there are lessons to be learned from that earlier time, as we hear from Martha Teichner. The outbreak is growing. More deaths, more cases as thousands of Americans begin to self-quarantine. If the outbreak of COVID-19 has a bullseye in the U.S., it's Washington State. Most of those cases are linked to a nursing home outside Seattle. Schools and universities closed. A gauge of alarm here. Washington State's death toll continues to rise. Seen in Seattle, a lot of masks. But not for the first time. Substitute Spanish flu for coronavirus, 1918 for 2020. And just look. Seattle seized by the Godzilla of modern pandemics. The 1918 flu killed 675,000 Americans. 50 to 100 million people died worldwide. And that's equivalent to 225 to 450 million people today. That's incredible. The numbers are staggering. It was called the Spanish flu, but that was only because Spain, which was not at war, allowed the press to report on it openly, unlike here. The first serious outbreak in the United States began at Camp Funston, now Fort Riley in Kansas as infected soldiers from across the country made their way to the trenches in France. The virus spread. But the nation wasn't told. A year earlier, President Woodrow Wilson had rammed through Congress the Sedition Act, making it a crime to say or publish anything negative that would affect the war effort. (laughs) 
Americans could see for themselves in spite of what they were told. They thought they were less likely to catch the flu outside. They did whatever they could, given what they didn't know. Back in 1918, they had no idea what it was that they were suffering from and what it was that they were being killed by. And to me, that's the most frightening aspect of the 1918 epidemic. Dr. Jeremy Brown is director of emergency care research at the National Institutes of Health, but spoke to us in a personal capacity. Viruses would not be discovered for another 15 or 20 years. That's very different to today. We know what it is that, it, that is causing the disease. Brown has written extensively about influenza and argues that 2020 will not be another 1918, thanks to advances in science. Back in 1918, the basic treatments that were offered were enemas, whiskey, and bloodletting. Uh, hospitals as we know them today were quite different. There were no intensive care doctors who, who really understand how to treat the very sickest patients. There were no antibiotics to treat any secondary infection. So it was a very, very different time and a very different way of practicing medicine back then. But for John Barry, there is a takeaway from then that still applies. The biggest lesson from the 1918 pandemic is clearly to tell the truth. What are the consequences if the truth isn't told? I think more people will die, yeah. Uh, clearly that was the case in 1918. People can deal with the truth. It's the unknown that's much scarier. Hi, Dad. Hi, Sabrina. Do you know how to make holy water? How do you do that? Boil the hell out of it. That was a good one. Do you got any more? A pencil without lead is pointless. <laughs> That's, that one's not as good. Hey, Daddy. Hey, Daddy. You say hello? Do the one with the blind man. Do you know about the blind man who picked up a hammer and saw? That's my favorite. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. I remember a memory now. Do you want to hear it? My first memory, when I was about four years old, I used to re think about sliding into my mother's arms. And it wasn't until I grew up and went back and visited the house I grew up in and realized what I was, well, how I got this memory. I was sliding down a banister <laughs> and my mother was catching me at the bottom oh, of the stairs. Was it, was it a game or like you just were being naughty? I was just a game that she, we played. Oh, that's so cute. And it was before my brother was born, so I figured I was about four in order to be on a banister. I love that memory. Oh, I remember one time my mother fell and broke her leg. Aww. And was in the hospital. I must have been about 12 because I bought a plot of land in the um, Andirondacks. When you were 12? When I was 12, I had a paper route and it was $50. Oh my goodness. 
and no, uh, I gave it to Barbara, Aunt Barbara, and they changed the zoning laws. It was too small to build on, so somebody up there got a, a free lot. Um, but we, <laughs> my father said, "Well, let's go take a trip up," and my uncle Matt and my aunt um, Connie, my dad. My two sisters, my brother and I, piled into my uncle's car, <laughs> and we went up, and we were on the New York State Thruway. It was in the 50s. And it was lunchtime, and my uncle said, well, we're going to pull over and eat right in the middle <laughs> of a major freeway. <laughs> and that's where we came up with, you came up with, the Italian outing. Yeah. Uh, probably a teenager. When I told you that story, I said, oh. And then every time we did something like that, you'd say, oh, it's another Italian outing. Did you hear that the energy bunny was arrested for, for battery? That's a bad one. Okay. Um, what about the one you told me in the car yesterday? Which one was that? Oh, there was this woman. She was in her 80s, and she was getting married for the fourth time, fourth husband. And this newspaper lady uh, heard about it and wanted to interview her and see what was going on. And she said, my God, you're getting married again? And you're in your 80s? Wasn't your first husband um, a banker of sorts? And your second husband was the uh, guy in the circus um, calling the uh, everybody to order? And, and he was the, uh, oh, what was it, like the greatest performer? And then, didn't you marry a minister? And now you're marrying an undertaker. How can you explain that? Well, it's like this. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. <laughs> oh, God, that's a good one. Uh, I told that at, at Sabrina's, I mean, Alicia's, at thanks, one Thanksgiving, and uh, Jen's family was there, too, and they oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this is, but when you asked me about a memory, I, and I remembered that, that memory, and I remember how I was affected by that, meaning that at first I thought it was just a dream, and then when I went back, I realized it was real. I used to slide down the banister. Well, that's the end of episode 29. Super Sab in Seattle, the virus episode. My cat William is here totally putting his paws all over everything. and I don't know if you can hear him purring.
He's a very bossy cat. I just want to say thanks for listening. Um, I did get an update today that my dad is doing much better. So all those good vibes you've been sending in this, you know, 25 minutes or however long this is, has been helping. So I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can email me at Sabrina at com. You can call us and leave a message, a voicemail at 206-925-3847. We're on Twitter still, I think. Um, no longer on Facebook. And I think we have an Instagram. So this is episode 29 of Virus. Thanks for listening. Keep on keeping on. And um, wear your mask. I mean, this is one scary, scary, scary bug. Whole new world. Whole new world. So, oh, wait a minute. Wait, I got a question. What happened when you guys got to your end of road work? Uh, oh, we walked around the Andorondics and then turned around and came back. I don't know how many hour drive it was. What made you want to buy it? I was into buying land, oh. and then I bought a piece of property in uh, in the Bahamas. Were you a kid? No, and when I lived in Alaska, mm-hmm. and it turned out that's a hole in the ground, <laughs> so I stopped paying the taxes on it and hope waiting for them to take it back. You know, I'm reading a book now about anti-gravity, and I just can't put it down. (laughs) Goodbye.